Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than a Jamaican bobsleigh team. Did you see that story the other week? About the guys that got in trouble for dressing up as cool runnings. Ridiculous. My name's Ash Rose, your host and guide on this, the original 1990s football podcast. And we're back, back again, giving you a massive slice on this, the 90s football pizza <laughs> that was a strange metaphor for you, but you can tell I'm excited to be back. A little bit longer than it usually is. Yes, I apologise for that. It's been a very busy period for myself uh, over the last few weeks, which means it's been a bit longer uh, from show to show, which I don't like doing, but I have been on holiday myself, had a family holiday, um, which was very nice, very good, a very good holiday, although it was my first holiday with my 17-month-old daughter abroad. Um, that's a bit of a challenge, isn't it? <laughs> she definitely rules the roost. wasn't quite the relaxing holiday me and the wife were used to, but fun all the same. I'm sure those of you who had children know exactly what I'm talking about, but that was fun. Uh, I also was in New York for a while um, doing some stuff for TalkSport and the WWE show I do, Gorilla Position. I was there for SummerSlam. And just generally, it's a busy period for me, uh, what with my day job at Kick Magazine and the other magazines, Footy, Kick Extra, some stuff with Match Attacks. Start of the season, always very busy, just means I just haven't quite nailed down enough time to get the show sooner to you than I wanted to. Also, the guests, we've had a bit of trouble um, organising our schedules. I wanted particular guys on this show uh, to talk about particular themes on this show, and we just couldn't quite organise the times uh, correctly. In the end, we got there, which is why we bring you today's show. But yeah, so sorry, apologies that this has taken slightly longer um, than your usual sort of... I like to give it two weeks. You know, week two weeks is pretty good, but it's been a bit longer than that. So apologies for that. But we are continuing our uh, countdown of the season by season of the 1990s in football, um, which is nearly at the end, because this will be the penultimate uh, episode in that kind of mini-series that we're doing. We're doing 1997 98 today, um, which, you know, goes without saying, it's a season dominated by uh, one club, really, uh, who did the double that season. I don't have to say, you know what I'm talking about. No spoilers here. It happened over no, nearly 20 years ago. So, yeah, a lot of Arsenal on today's show, which we'll get to in uh, just a second. Uh, just a few 90s nibs I wanted to go through, uh, just mention before uh, get out to your memories that you tweeted out to me of uh, 97, 98. Um, and they involve, actually, a few friends of the show. Yeah, a few shout-outs to some friends. Uh, firstly to um, Hallie Inc who hasn't been on the show but I'm trying to get him on the show because um, his artwork is absolutely amazing you may see me tweeted about it uh, a couple of days ago he was the guy who did he does all these sort of artwork that have kind of kits folded up I've got a QPR one um, sitting in my office but I also now have the Euro 96 version so yes he's got all the kits from Euro 96 he's drawn and illustrated look fantastic um, they also come in a mug I believe as well and he also does little pin badges which I think are fantastic. I've got the England Euro 96 home kit as a pin badge. Well, actually, I'm going to go buy a few more and not just um, England or he, they don't, he hasn't done a QPR one, but he's got like the Arsenal Bruce Banana on there, um, some classic 90s kits, can't, uh, some, a Villa one, an Aston Villa one. So yeah, I might buy all these kit badges and stick them on the, um, my scarves that are in my office. Yeah, something else to add. Something else my wife will call 90s tats. But yeah, no, great stuff. Check Hallie Inc. out. Um, they are limited um, edition types, so there's not a lot of them i know the mugs from italia 90 and the artwork he did for that flew out really quickly so quickly i didn't actually even get my hands on an italia 90 uh, piece of artwork which i was gutted about but i do hear a rumor he may be working on a tournament in between 
90 and 96, which isn't 92 and is a, a tournament that you guys know that I'm very, very fond of. So look out for that apparently in the future as well. Um, anything to do with the USA 94 kit, ding, ding, ding on your AK-90s bingo, I'll be buying, I'll be having. So yeah, check Halley Inc. out on there. Also mentioned to, this happened today actually, literally a few, um, a couple of hours ago, um, Dave Black, who is on Twitter at CM9798, um, does the championship manager stuff, um, really good, and he was great on the show uh, a couple of episodes ago, talking about Newcastle. He tweeted out a fantastic picture. Um, I don't know where he dug it out from, but it's so 90s, it just, it screams 1990s, because it's one of those things, like Pogs, that only happened in that decade, haven't happened since, don't even know why they happened in the first place, um, but he tweeted out a picture of a Tamagotchi, yeah, remember those stupid things, now these weren't, like Pogs I got on board with, I was, I was, I bought Pogs, I even sold them, I had a Pog machine, I used to make my own Pogs and sell them like Del Boy style in the playground, but Tamagotchis, nah, never got down with that, thought they were stupid at the time, still think they're stupid now, but the thing that he tweeted, the Tamagotchi that he tweeted, was a France 98 one with foot ticks on it, absolutely brilliant how 90s is that a tamag a football tamagotchi fantastic that's what i love seeing on the twitter feed so if you've got anything like that in your office please office garage i don't know wherever please put it on twitter because i love seeing that i've never seen that before when i haven't seen something from the 1990s before that screams football and especially something like a tamagotchi i love it so yeah put it on twitter like dave black did thanks for that another friend of the show is um Joel Young, part of the furniture, the grandfather clock of AK-90s, of course, I like to call him. And I think he's got quite a fond of that nickname as well. Um, I wanted to mention him because we were literally tweeting just before I started recording this um, about uh, QPR Middlesbrough, which happens this weekend uh, in the championship uh, as we record it, um, which is our two teams. I'm a QPR fan, Joel, as you know, the head of the Giannino fan club. He's a Middlesbrough fan. He was, we were remembering a game between the two teams, which is at Loftus Road in 1998, where we walloped Middlesbrough 5-0. Um, it was a game where Mark Kennedy, we had him on loan from Millwall, I think it was at the time. No, Liverpool, excuse me. He was on loan from Liverpool at the time. We had him on a three-month loan, I think it was, and he was absolutely brilliant in that little period we were a very terrible team uh, at that point we were going through I think Ray Harford was in charge and we were going through a very sticky period um, Middlesbrough were at the top of the league and um, they had Andy Dibble in goal I think um, so I think and I think Joel said he let in a quarter of the season's goals in two games but yeah it was a game I fondly remember I actually had it on VHS um, for some reason I don't even know where I got hold of it um, it was actually in the club shop. Maybe they bought, maybe they sold a limited edition. You know, at the time we were so bad, beating a good team five nil seemed like a reason to release a VHS. But it had no cover on it, so I actually made my own VHS cover. I think I cut out the badges from something and then used some coloured pencils to decorate it and stuff. It looked terrible looking back. If I could find it, if I ever find that, I'll put it on Twitter. But yeah, I wasn't exactly the most artistic young man, so I don't imagine it looked too good. Um, but something that made me really laugh was Joel remembering where he was uh, that night. He was uh, at a gig. It was a Tuesday night game under the lights at Loftus Road. And how 90s is this? He was at a Shed 7 gig. Brilliant. Shed 7. They were very much of the time, wasn't they? Uh, a very indie or Britpop, I suppose it was. You could call it at the time. Uh, did they sing that? And we love... What was that? Menswear. Oh, I can't remember now, but still, equally as good. Uh, so, a very fun memory for that. And lastly, another friend of the show. He kicked off this series, actually, when we did 1990-91, another season about Arsenal, which was Greg Lansdowne. 
his book, which I've told you a million times to check out, and you really, really should if you like your stickers and your collectibles uh, from all decades, not just the 90s. It's called Stuck On You. But he's been tweeting a lot over the last few days, a lot of adverts showing the sticker albums um, from back in the 90s. I'm looking at one right now, which is from... Uh, not it says it's a great headline Panini's Italian 90 stickers not for dads which playing on the fact that dads collect them um, he also done some um, tweets and some scans from Match Magazine uh, sort of showing off when they're going to give away their free stickers from it the Panini albums yes and it made me feel really nostalgic actually because the font on Match Magazine just from that era makes me feel like, oh, I remember when I used to collect Match Magazine. Now, in, in modern times, they're a bit of a rival to my own magazine that I'm editor of, Kick. But yeah, back in the day, absolutely brilliant. Some Merlin stuff in there as well. But yeah, just check out his Twitter feed, at Panini underscore book, because there's some, always some great stuff on there. Not just from the 90s, but all around it, all throughout Stickers history. He'll be back on the show in a couple of months, actually. We've got a special anniversary and a special project he's working on. I can't tell you much about it at the moment, but it involves Stickers. So we'll be doing another pod on Stickers at that point as well actually talking about match magazine there i didn't realize i think i tweeted this out on my own feed and i did it on ak90s as well yeah never forget it of course but it was their 38th anniversary last week 38 years blimey it's a long time isn't it but it just made me remember the first issue of the magazine that i ever bought and i still remember that it's the first football magazine i bought full stop it was august 1990 um the Destination was a news agency in Welling, which is no longer there. It was called Predies, I think. I've tried to Google this to try and get a picture. I can see it in my mind. Um, it's now like a pound shop called Aladdin something, but it had a massive green sign. Um, if anyone knows Welling, it's it's down the other end. It's it's the Tesco end. It used to be <laughs> by that community church or whatever. I'm going too much about Welling now for those who don't know what I'm talking about. But anyway, I bought my first football magazine from there which was match in 1990 so what we're talking 27 years ago crazy makes me feel old had gary lineker in a tottenham shirt on the front i tweeted that picture out myself but yeah it's just a staple hold of 1990s wasn't it match magazine we did a, a whole pod on magazines go back in the archives and listen to that but it was always match or shoot wasn't it they you were either a match person or a shoot person or you, you didn't genuinely buy one or the other i bought both because i was a geek but there was a lot of camps that just bought one or the other i mean i bought everything total football 90 minutes goal 442 sported england magazine you name it i bought it but yeah it was a nice little nudge to the match magazine and the, and i liked i tweeted out on the ak90s feed the transition how it looked different from because at the start of the decade was very text heavy then he went through that 3d phase where everything seemed to be 3d looking and then towards the end of the decade a little bit sleeker a little bit not too dissimilar to what it looks like these days but a much younger version than what we were used to but yeah happy birthday uh, match magazine but on to today's show yes we're talking 1997-98 got a couple of great guests uh, on for you someone who's been on before with us talking arsenal mr Chaz nuki burden who's an author and a debutant who'll be talking barnsley yeah there's the first time we've heard that on this podcast um talking barnsley in their only premier league season that magical uh season for them for the tykes um on in 97 98 okay it didn't end magical but just to be there for that season i'm sure it was great and we'll hear um giles alderson a filmmaker and ex-friend of um the Copper 90 gang, ex-friend, ex-worker, I should say. That's where I met him from, uh, Copper 90. So, yes, so they're on the show today. We're talking 1997-98, a season, as I said, that was completely dominated by the Gunners and where Arsene Wenger really put his first stamp 
on that team and it's hard to believe he's still there and the stamp's not quite there anymore though is it um, but I'm not again to Wenger out that's far too modern and far too boring for me to talk about um, let's talk about what you remember from 1997-98 uh, I had a few tweets from you guys when I put out a picture of the uh, the battle for the Premiership 1997-98 uh, VHS from Sky Sports which had Michael Owen, Gianluca Vialli Andy Cole and Nigel Winterburn on the front interesting mix of players there um, Greg, who we've just mentioned at Panini Book, says where to begin. That sums it all up. He's an Arsenal fan, so that's all he needs to say. Dan Barker, Dan Barker at MOTP, regular on here. He says the owner of the company I work for paying out on bets for Manchester United to win the league drastically early. Bit of mistake. Yeah, it was that big story because Man United were, as we will discuss, so far ahead in that uh, title race. Then Arsenal slowly crept on, and then there was that famous day at Old Trafford and Mark Overmars. That's all coming up in today's show. Stephen O'Rook at Steeor says Keane's injury against Leeds of course that started the big war with Alvin Gaharland we cover that um, this is a great one Paul Redfern at Paul underscore Redfern 82 player that time forgot we love those Itazik Zohar for Palace which is one that yeah I had to google just to remind me what he looked like but I kind of remembered Zohar the name but yes he says only remembered for a last minute penalty miss on Boxing Day awful player Robert Dunn at Red and White Rob says, The season Kevin Phillips broke Brian Clough's goal-scoring record at Sunderland, but ended badly with that playoff against Charlton. Of course, one that we talked about that game a couple of times on here, one of the best games of the decade. Uh, that 98 playoff final at Charlton and Sunderland was 4 all. and they went to penalties. Uh, we tried to get Sasserilic, actually, on this show. I uh, have emailed him, and he's got back with me. We just couldn't get timings, but maybe we'll talk to him in the future about that game. Uh, last one on this, Lord Grumpus at Twonkins5000. Not sure what that's all about, but thank you for your tweet. He says, David Platt, hugely underrated influence in that team. Bridge between old guard and new foreign imports had a foot in both camps. Yeah, I think we mentioned him uh, in that main IT game, the reverse fixture that was earlier in that campaign where he scored um, in the 3-2 win for Arsenal uh, at Highbury. Yeah, so yeah, David Platt, really important. And there was one from Aedo at Aedo1894. Uh, 1895 sorry he says need I say more and then he put a YouTube link to Blur Song 2 fair enough yeah it's got it's, it's always played in football isn't it I suppose so yeah I can see where you're coming from so thank you very much for those tweets um, a lot of that is included on the show don't you worry that's coming up in a second with the guys um, we also got a great interview on the phone as well but before we get into all that let me just remind you that you can follow us like those people did and comment and do what you want tell us about your 90s memories at AK90s both on Facebook and of course on Twitter please do hit us up on there follow us and like if you can and if you are a fan of the podcast, subscribe on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and a review because that helps us very, very much indeed. And once this series comes to an end as well, I may put this out as a poll. We're going to start some sort of new series. I've always kind of wanted to do podcasts on particular players. So maybe we'll do one on Gaza, Cantona, um, some other suggestions if you want to throw them my way. So that might be next. Just let me know what you'd like us to cover that we haven't already covered on these what, 52 or 53 episodes of Alive and Kicking Now. God, that sounds like a lot. So it's a lot of 19 memories we have covered. I don't even mind going back and doing stuff again if there's a different angle, which we've already done as well. I'll be definitely doing another kit one soon uh, with John Devlin because I know he's got a new book coming out. So I'm sure he's going to want to talk about that and I'm going to want to hear about it. So yeah, do hit us up on Twitter if there's any theme that you'd like us to cover. But for now, that's delve into 1997-98. The penultimate episode in this countdown season by season of the 1990s with me, Chaz and Giles 
chewing the fat over Arsenal, Barnsley, a bit of Newcastle on a Spurs hat trick. That's a, a big good memory from that, but a lot of the other two. So enjoy the show, and I'll speak to you next time out. Okay, let's get knee deep then in 1997-98. Yes, we're nearly at the end of this countdown now. We're only two more seasons to go, so this is our penultimate. Uh, season in this kind of mini series we're doing here on Alive and Kicking. I've got two guests with me on the line, which we're talking kind of top and bottom of this season because they were two really big stories, especially one of them at the top of that campaign. Firstly, it's my pleasure uh, to welcome back Chaz Nuki Burden, author and journalist. He's got a brand new book out as well coming soon called Running Cheaper Than Therapy. Chaz, tell us about the book and how are you doing, buddy? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, great to be here. The book is like a compilation of running wisdom, running humour. Um, so it's entries like Run As You Know, where I deal with all the different type of running archetypes from the nutrition nut to the inexplicably good old man who beats you every time. Um, <laughs> and then there's also various sort of facts and figures. And then I've got a whole load of cele- um, celebrity runners to do little guest slots writing about their own experiences. So I've got people like <clears throat> David Baddiel, uh, Liz Yelling, Alistair Campbell, quite a sort of <laughs> an unlikely ensemble but hopefully it will hopefully it will go down well oh, David we deal with Euro 96 fame there's a there's a link I have to put a link in yes. there somewhere of course absolutely yes <laughs> and and joining uh, Chaz on today's show uh, a debutant always like a debutant on the show and he'd be talking a lot about Barnsley yes it was Barnsley season in the Premier League for those modern listeners if you're listening they were a Premier League club once upon a time he is a uh, director and a part of the filmmakers pod which is a great podcast if you are into that side of, of filmmaking. Giles Alderson. Giles, welcome to the show. Tell us about your adventure in, in filmmaking. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, I've been making films for about 10 years now. Before that, I was an actor and doing all that kind of stuff. And yeah, now I'm directing movies. I've just done a film out in Bulgaria, actually, which I'd written uh, called The Dare, which should be out uh probably beginning of next year um and i made a documentary which has got its premiere coming up a big festival so yeah i've been doing it for a while and now i run the filmmakers podcast where we talk all things how to make films um not enough football because my other two um hosts don't like football so it's kind of just me and whenever i do a football reference which i did yesterday with the oscar-winning gravity editor mark sanger and his his um Twitter handle is at Blue Trundle. And I was like, oh, right, like Lee Trundle. Of the course, footballer. yeah. And he went, no, I really don't like football. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. Um, so anyway, that's going well. And yeah, do do check us out on iTunes and... Uh, and all that kind of stuff as well if you like into filmmaking well we were just talking pre-record and we were talking about your show and you've got mark strong coming up have you of course he was from fever pitch the film in the 90s yeah we have um because kingsman's coming out so i play football with mark strong and he's not a bad little striker actually i say little he's he's a unit you don't want to tackle him um he will go through you (laughs) he will kick your shins to get that ball but he scores some he scores some really good goals and do you know what he's probably the hardest working player on the pitch he works hard. Yeah, so we've got him on the show uh, this week, but the show will be out on Tuesday. We go out every Tuesday. So that'll be really interesting talking to him about all acting. And I will ask him about Fever Pitch, and yeah. I will ask him about football. And who's the better player, me or him? <laughs> I just remember him <laughs> in Fever Pitch when he has that scene in the penalty of the, the Sunday League and he's doing the dance and stuff. That always makes me laugh. Yeah. Yeah, great scene. But yeah, that's talk 90s, though. Um, we, we, well, Giles, we met football didn't he because he used to work for copper 90 as well for more modern yeah. day people who, who listen to or watch youtube that's for modern how, day people yeah 
the youth of today, yeah, the ones who not have got those slight grey tint to their hair at the moment. Yeah, as opposed, you know. as opposed to the dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or well, us. Yes, we're reliving the nineties. That's what we do here, and it's ninety-seven, ninety-eight. Before we get onto that, let's do our football CV. So, Chaz, this is your second time on. We're talking games. Um, your favourite Arsenal game of the nineties? Is it going to be one from this season we're talking about? Well, yes and no. Actually, no. Um, if I was being completely accurate and honest, my game of the 90s for Arsenal would be the 97-98 Man United at Old Trafford um, in the run-in. Mark. Yeah, but I'm not doing it for two reasons. One, because I suspect we'll be talking about it further into the pod. (laughs) And secondly, because it just felt too obvious. So what I'm going to go for is the Palmer match, uh, the 1994 European Cup Winners' Cup final. Oh, Ian Selly played, right? I believe one. he did, yes. It was a pretty patched up uh, team, pretty patched mm. up midfield. David Seaman had about 10 injections in his ribs. Ian Wright was suspended. Uh, and Ian Wright was, I mean, we used to sing at the time, and it's Ian Wright FC, you know, rather than Arsenal FC. That was the wrong melody, but anyway, we'll go with it. Um, <laughs> I got it. I knew where you were going, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah, knew what I was trying you. to do. And, um, so, yeah, it was just an amazing match. And I think that the George Graham part of the 90s, and in fact, the George Graham part of Arsenal history, is kind of forgotten a bit, partly because of how he left, the sort of the shadow he left under, and partly because, I think I might have meant a cloud. And mm. <laughs> God, I think, I think same applies. <laughs> this Dr. Pepper I've just drunk can't kick in quickly enough. Um, it's so misunderstood. <laughs> and so basically, um, yes, like my uh, vocabulary. But um, so... <laughs> It was just a great match, and I just remember, you know, the, the Palmer were a really, really big team then. Uh, you know, they had Esprilia, Brolin, um, Zola, all of these players sort of pretty much at their peak, some of whom, in fact, all of whom subsequently came to, to England in the 90s. But, uh, yeah, it was just a real uh, against-the-odds victory, and I was so pleased for Alan Smith on the night because, although I love Ian Wright, and he's my favourite of a footballer, as I've said on previous episodes, um, there was something so likeable about Alan Smith. And it, before Ian Wright joined, he was our star striker. Then he sort of got down the pecking order a little bit, both uh, team-wise and um, in people's esteem. And so the fact that he scored the winner that night was really, really good. Mm. I remember that well as well, because this was the Thomas Brolin before the pies and everything at Leeds United. Wasn't yeah. it? This was the... Thomas Brolin of the Euro 92 fame. There were some side that front three. So, yeah, I remember that game visibly. But outside of, of Highbury and, of course, that night at the Cup Winners' Cup final, what would be your favourite game of the 90s? Well, I'm going to go for Newcastle. I think it was at, yeah, well, it was at Blackburn in the 95-96 season. Partly because club loyalties aside, the 95-96 season is possibly my favourite ever. Bonkers, yeah. Absolutely yeah, bonkers. Of, any, of any decade. I just absolutely loved it. And I, I felt that... Although Sky had been running a few years before then, I felt that was the season where Sky really kicked in and actually became, you know, they, they sort of nailed what they what they were doing. Um, and I just remember at the end, you know, Fenton, uh, so David Batty scored what was going to be the winner and hopefully from Newcastle point of view, their fight back, you know, having slipped down from their huge lead. Uh, I think they were six points behind going into it. And so they were hoping to claw back three and then David Batty scores late on and it all seems fine. And then Fenton, who was then a footballer rather than a dog who chased 
deer in Richmond Park uh, mm-hmm. for a YouTube video. Um, he scored <laughs> two right at the end, um, and he was a Geordie. But the reason why I've picked it is partly the whole drama of that season. But I remember the fans at the end. It's such a vivid memory in my mind. The the cameras, the Sky cameras, just spent ages zooming in on Newcastle fans at the end, who were obviously completely gutted. And it's burned into my mind that image of them, and it was just. I don't always like. Sometimes I get a bit annoyed with Newcastle fans because they have that sort of air about them that they're the only authentic football fans in the entire universe and that the rest of us are just all, you know, a bunch of disloyal ponces. Although with Arsenal fans, they have got a point. um, (laughs) They, um, they, yeah, I just loved, I just felt it was so much drama in that match. And watching those fans, you know, my heart just bled for them because they just couldn't believe what they were seeing in front of them. Especially someone like Graham Fenton, who's become one of those obscure 90s players, because he didn't go on and do very much of note after that, did he? He's one of those names that, right. that people recall, just go, Graham Fenton, what happened to him? But yeah, <laughs> we talked a lot about that on our 95, 96 podcast, going back into the archive and listen to that. Giles, it's our first time with you guys, so it's the players. So favourite Barnsley player of the 90s? It must be from this season, surely. Uh, it's not from this season. Good. No. Uh, it, it, this season would have been crazy. Uh, with, yeah, we're all over the place. Um, from the 90s, it's got to be Ashley Ward. Um, the reason why I say Ashley Ward is because whenever he scored in the Premier League for Barnsley, we won. So in the middle of the game, if Ashley Ward scored a goal, we were all over the moon because now we knew we were we were going to win that game. And we did. Every single time he scored, we won. I think that's an incredible record, to be honest. And he had great hair. He did have um, very 90s slip back curtains, didn't he? And I really dig that, and I rocked that as much as I could. I wish I 90s. could. I couldn't get... My hair grows outwards, not downwards, so I could never That's a weird that. image. Well, yeah. like Sideshow Bob. No, it just, more like it just... Noel Gallagher. I, I could do the big old bowl, but I couldn't do the curtain. I really wanted curtains in the 90s, and I just couldn't do it. That's a shame. I know. It's a, you missed out. You missed, missed out big time. time. Yeah, it's big come time. back, you know. My kids are doing that hairstyle now. Still can't happen. Wait, it's it's weird. <laughs> Wait, oh, he can't happen now. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so he was my favourite player for, for Barnsley, mm. for sure. I, mean, for I think sh- he was the first person, best footballer I remember being called Ashley as well, because although I'm, that's that's my name, not just Ash, and I always remember that being like, oh, there's another Ashley and he's in football. But that's my random memory of Ashley Wall. But outside of, um, oh my God, I've, I've forgotten Barnsley's ground. What was Barnsley's ground at the time? Oakwell. Oakwell, Oakwell yes, yes. Still is Oakwell. Yeah, it still is famous. Oakwell. Go it completely lost my mind then. Outside of... Change their names, don't they? So yeah. we're lucky that we've managed to keep Ocala, not some random chairman's name that's popped up. So or that's good. Bet three six five. Yeah. Oh, yeah. some are horrible yeah. now, aren't they? Some of them are oh. horrible. Yeah, like the Emirates, or maybe. Sorry, Chaz. Yeah, yeah, it, it's true. <laughs> it's a horrible name. We've got used to it, but it's a horrible name, Chaz. It really is. Well, it did occur to me the other day when people were panicking. Um, in case people listen to this in subsequent years, I'm talking about the Cologne match. And when there were early rumours that the fans were sort of charging the turnstiles and there were these massively over-hysterical rumours about all this disastrous stuff about to happen at the ground, it did just occur to me that if there was a disaster at any ground that's branded by a company, that's got to be really bad news for the company. You know, imagine if there was, sorry to drag things back to such dark things, but if there was, a com- if there was like the Emirates disaster, do you know mm. what I mean? What, what, yeah, I, can tell I, mean, I wonder yeah. whether they factored that in when they brand them. But anyway... Sorry, that's yeah. a diversion. No, you're right. It's a good point. That's it's not, a good point. Let's not hope it happens at the Kit Kat Stadium. You don't want a Kit Kat disaster, <laughs> do you? Cause, is that still called the Kit Kat? I can't even remember if it's still called the Kit Kat Stadium. But anyway, outside of Oakwell, Giles, your favourite player of the 90s? Uh, outside of Oakwell. Um, there's a few, you know. Um, some big names. There is some big names. 
I don't, oh. It's a tough one. I'd probably go with Paolo Wanchop. <laughs> Random. But Very. Go on. Yeah. He had a great name. He had a great for name. For one, everyone liked to say Wanchop because at the time, you know, I was eating meat and to have a Wanchop was kind of cool. To have a player named after that was um, fascinating. He was a decent player, to be honest. He scored some amazing goals and he seemed like a decent bloke. So I'm going with Paolo Wanchop. Why not? There's, another, there's, there's a few others. You know, you mentioned Thomas Brolin there. In this season, um, he actually played for Crystal Palace and was dreadful. So he was a favourite player until then. But I'm going with Paolo Wanchop. Go with Paolo Wanchop. Scored in his debut at Old Trafford, Paolo Wanchop, if I remember he rightly. Did. He did. He's got that wonderful little chip as well. Uh, and everyone tried to... I remember recreating that in the playground and really hurt myself on the concrete. So... <laughs> Sure, to be honest, he shouldn't be my favourite player because of. <laughs> I, I, I like a random one that makes me makes me smile. Also, Paolo Wanchop, I remember we had QPR had Stuart Houston as a manager of QPR at the end of the nineties, and he had the chance to sign Paolo Wanchop before he signed for Derby. Um, turned him down. Fool, absolute fool. Fool, signed Mike no Sharon instead. <laughs> and then where's he now? Exactly. You know? yep, he's exactly. not talked about on this podcast. Well, actually, he is, but <laughs> not, not, <laughs> not as gl- a favourite. Yeah, not in the glowing terms Paolo Wanchop is. There you are. What, yeah. what a player. Anyway, that's talk 1997 98. Um, it's a season, it's so. I mean, I was doing my research, and I must admit, Maurice, we've had to arrange this podcast due to our scheduling a couple of times so that when I first did my research was a couple of weeks ago I've had a holiday since so I'm catching up this morning from what I what I written down before so there's a few notes I don't even understand that I've written down so I've actually <laughs> I've, I've got, well, things haven't things haven't changed so that's good <laughs> no, things haven't changed exactly yeah but I may, there may be a little scribble there that I don't even know what it says that I may have missed so but we'll see we'll try and work it out but that's talk like 798 then and I mean May United were the champions going into the season Let's start with Chaz and talk the beginning of the season with Arsenal. I mean, were you still in this kind of Arsene Wenger who stage? Because he'd come in the season previously and we were still getting to know this guy. What were kind of the aspirations going into that campaign? Well, no, I think people I think people were won over to Wenger. Whether we necessarily thought we were going to win the league, let alone the double, I don't think many of us really felt that. But I think that we probably felt like we were going to have you know, a good go at it which is, you know, the old cliche, but it is what, you know, the minimum that you sort of want when you're going into any competition as a, as a club of Arsenal size at the time. You know, all we really wanted was to, to have a proper go at it. Um, what happened was the previous season, which obviously you've dealt with on previous pod, they had brought in um, Vieira mm-hmm. and Remy Gard, and then subsequently sort of Anelka started to sort of show his face towards the end of the campaign. But over the summer, I just remember he went out and bought all of these players. It was a whole spine. It was, you know, Meninga, Matthew Upson, Grimondi, Petit, um, Mark Overmars. It just felt like there was this whole new spine. And I remember him lining them up because I was a journalist for shoot at the time. So I just hung around the whole time at, at football. You know, I just my job was going to football training grounds and interviewing footballers. So it was very nice. And I remember the open day at Arsenal before the season, Wenger lined up all his new signings. Um, there were others as well, Lua Morte and Alberto Mendes, you know, people who didn't quite work out. And I remember looking at this, you know, eight or nine buys and just thinking if even like half of these work out, we're going to be really, really good. And of course, the only players he'd bought sub- thus far, like Vieira and people, had worked out and had hit the ground running. So there was a lot of optimism. I think that a lot of us wondered, we sort of felt like Overmars was going to be the the key you know if he came in and he did really well and he hit the ground running then we were going to be pretty terrifying for opposition defenders but there was always that suspicion over his knee at the time you know he'd had a long time out and there was that suspicion of will he uh, make it and 
really a lot of the players that Wenger buys have a similar thing to Overmars. They have a point to prove. Mm. If you look at them all, Vieira had gone to Italy, you know, and hadn't really worked out. And he was this young, lanky midfielder who had sort of perhaps jumped a bit too quickly uh, up and, and then had sort of hit a bit of a barrier. And even Burkamp, although he wasn't technically a Wenger signing, he came with something to prove. And so there's been lots since, like Henri and people, but sticking with Overmars, he came with such a point to prove because he had this massive reputation and then it had an injury which some people were saying might finish his career. So I think there was a lot of optimism and yeah, I just remember also wondering how sort of players like Ian Wright would react because, as I said earlier, for so long the club, let alone the team, had felt like it was built around Ian Wright. And so it was that sort of thought of, will he adapt well to all of these new players and this new regime, or will he go off on one of his sulks? Um, and also, equally, if he goes on on one of his sulks, is that necessarily a bad thing? Because when you build a team around a player, sometimes when they disappear, um, there's a real weight off everyone's shoulders. So I remember the first couple of games. Yeah, I think we got a point at Leeds um, and then beat Coventry. And... Um, yeah, I just I, I the problem with the first half of the season was was that we did go off the rails a bit. Um, I don't know if I'm jumping too far forward, but basically there was a big meeting in December behind the scenes with the team when the back four basically pointed their fingers at Petit and Vieira and said, you're not protecting us at all. We need you to protect us. And then they told Wenger, they actually sort of the players actually almost it was almost like a little uprising. Yeah, they wow. said they've got to give us protection. We've got to become a more solid unit. Um otherwise we're screwed sort of thing and um at the time we just lost to blackburn it was in december we were way off the pace of even competing for the league and then everything turned around from then and we were we were on form we'll talk about the second half in in just a second you mentioned mark overmars there he's someone i wanted to touch on actually because he had a great season but not just a great season his spell at <laughs> arsenal is, st- is still so highly regarded because when you talk about teams the Premier League teams of the decade Premier League teams of 25 years he still mentioned despite the fact that he had a very little tenure at, at Arsenal at Highbury at the time I mean Giles for you where does Overmars rank in, in terms of if Premier League midfielders for you oh, he's pretty high um, he was a decent player he was alright he did his <laughs> thing I don't know I suppose if yeah he's, he'd never be in my top you know 11 or anything like that but certainly for Arsenal at the time and the fact that you won the league he was he was an incredible player um, and he yeah, he terrorised defences. So in that season, he was probably... He's got to be in the team of the year. But yeah, he doesn't rank that high for me, interestingly. Um, he was, he, interestingly, he wasn't in team of the year. We'll get to that towards the end of the show. But he wasn't. The team of the year was actually hardly hardly any Arsenal players at all. But oh, we'll get to that mm. at, the, at the end of the all show. All Barnsley players. They all were, Barnsley. They were all... Yeah, it, it was all Martin, <laughs> Martin Bullock and Eric Tinkler. But we'll get to them yeah. in a minute as well. Um, two games I wanted to focus on in that early part of the season uh, for Arsenal. Firstly, I don't think you can talk this season without talking about this game. Is the, the Leicester game. Uh, and that yes. and, and that hat trick. I mean that goal. I I talk about Dennis Bergkamp a lot on this show. For me, he is the best import this league has ever seen. I, and I include Ronaldo, Omri, Cantona, Zola in that. I think Bergkamp was different, very special. And I think if you want a snapshot of Dennis Bergkamp, um, despite the fact I mean for an Arsenal fan, drawing against Leicester wasn't what you ideally what, wanted at that point. But that hat trick, I mean. How does that rank in for you, Chaz? I mean, in terms of players and games and moments in, in the life of Dennis Burkham? There's very few players who've so defined one game in the way he has. I mean, Thierry Henry subsequently did, you know, in subsequent years. But 
No, I think that that was wonderful. And actually, as you know, I've probably spoken about before on the podcast, but I actually worked on an almost sort of daily basis with Dennis for two years. And that was in 2000 till 2002. And so because I ran his um, official website for him, which was mostly a ghostwriting job, but also uh, getting him to sign massive, massive piles of replica shirts to be sold on the website, um, doing web chats with him and stuff like that. And so it was a real privilege. Um, and when I talked to him about that game and about and that those goals and the goal against Newcastle, the famous one, you yeah. know, at St. James's Park, I always felt, he never said it directly, I always felt like the Newcastle one was the one that he really, really loved in it. I don't know whether the fact that we subsequently only drew and that Ian Wright went completely apeshit at the final whistle. I don't know whether that sort of took some of the gloss off it for Dennis, but no, I remember that was amazing. And again, you know, just going back to Overmars, what he did that season, as well as all the things he directly did was he was constantly double marked, particularly at the beginning of the season. People were terrified of him in the first two or three months of the season and he was double marked. And so that just opened up so many opportunities for Dennis and for Ian Wright and even people like Vieira galloping through um, because there was just space because he'd taken two defenders over Mars out of the game without even doing anything. So I don't know whether that sort of played a part in it, mm. but uh, no, I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. I wasn't actually there, but it's one of those things I wish I had been, you know, it's, I just think that the look of disbelief and I love the way that all the players, when Dennis scored, the way they ran to him just said it all. you didn't even need to see the goal you could just see the way that his teammates ran to him and you knew something amazing had happened and one thing he did say to me actually about a lot of his special goals is that he just didn't know when he did them how good they were and he said he would judge how I said so did you judge by the reaction of the crowd he said no because the noise is not that much dramatically different from goal to goal uh, there's obviously a slightly bigger noise if it's an amazing goal or a winner, but he said noise is noise. He said how he judged it was he'd look into the eyes of the players as they ran to him and he could see in their eyes how well he'd done because they would have seen it. And if their faces just look completely <laughs> mind blown. And he said, it was the third one, he said when he looked at them, they were all just looking at him like he'd come down from out of space. And he was like, he knew that he'd done something amazing. That's quite funny because I think of that goal he scored, was it against Sunderland where they did that celebration of him covering yeah. his mouth? I mean, I bet that played into it as well with the fact that he knew, I mean, that was a classic Burkamp curler, wasn't it? But the, yeah. the Newcastle goal particularly, that's, you know, that's to me, if people say he didn't mean it, they're out of their minds. It's one of the mm. pure genius moments of football. Giles, I know he's no Paolo one-shot, but Dennis Burkamp <laughs> for you, I mean, he is, he's very much one of the best, wasn't he? He really was. Can we talk about the goalkeeper though on that goal? <laughs> Casey when Keller. Brought- when when he brought that ball down, it was amazing touch. I cannot do that to save my life. And then he turned, and I thought, if you watch it back now, if the keeper looks like he's playing on one of those games you used to play in the nineties, where the goalkeeper's miles away from the post. Burkamp <laughs> almost puts it in the middle of the goal. Uh, I, anyway, yeah. it's a wonderful goal, but you have to <coughs> goalkeeping on that. Uh, no, look, he he's he was a fantastic player. He was he was wonderful. Um, I I would love a player like that to play for Barnsley one day. <laughs> he's a uh, different level. He didn't like to travel though, so that helped for <laughs> the yeah, European games. For European uh, clubs, yeah, they were alright. Yeah. Can but, I tell you the the best thing that he ever said to me? Do it. You will like this. Sorry, it's worthy of a, a minor interruption. Sorry, but um, oh, he yeah. um, what he said to me was I was talking to him about assists because uh, just as a fan, I've always loved. Uh, assists. I've always been fascinated by assists. Uh, obviously, goals are 
the, of the most important part. But um, yeah, so I said to him once about assist and I said, you know, how do you know how to weight it? I was, I was always asking him really annoying questions like, how are you so good? And stuff like that, hoping, <laughs> hoping he'd tell me some weird fact that nobody else knew and then I'd be able to create an unlikely uh, and belated football career. But I said, you know, how do you weight it so well? And he said to me, he pulled this mischievous face that I'd see in him sometimes and he said to me, I'll tell you something. He said, when I, to me, a perfect assist is not when I ping it through, the striker gets it and scores. Um, he said, it's when I ping it through and the goalkeeper and the defender, I've weighted it that perfect amount that they think that they're going to get to it. And then they don't. And then the striker scores. He says, I don't like an assist where the, goal, the defender and the goalkeeper know they're not going to be able to get to the ball. He said, I want them for a few seconds to think they can. And it's almost like sadistic. Do you understand what I mean? It's yeah. Like mm. sadistic. It's oh, like, God, yeah. To him, an assist is only perfect if it's lured his opponents into a few seconds <laughs> of fake um, safety in their minds. <laughs> and I just, when he said it to me, I was just like, you are just evil. And he was <laughs> an like, evil genius. So? I like, yeah, I said in a good way. I said it. And he, he just, and he just said, you know, the fractions and, you know, the weight that you put on it. He said, it's a tiny amount. But he said, if I see in their faces a moment of hope, that's the perfect assist to me. And I thought, oh my goodness. So dark, but so brilliant. Evil, so brilliant. evil genius. You mentioned the keeper there, Giles. I've just read a quote from Casey Keller, actually. He was saying that the day before his kids were born. So if he had an excuse, apparently he was at the hospital, he had to fly back um, to, to Leicester that night and stuff. So maybe he had an excuse. He wasn't quite on the ball, but... No, no excuse. No excuse. No Many excuse. a keeper <laughs> a bit suffered. I mean, we talked Dennis Bergkamp as well. We can't help but not mention the goal at France 98 mm. as well, which was the goal of the yeah. 90s for me as well. Mm. So, it was um, wonderful. The other game I wanted to mention before we talk about the second half of the season... Uh, Chaz is, is the first victory over Man United, which was a, a Sunday game, I think it was. I remember watching yes. it um, in, in November. It was a, a 3-2 ga- a win for Arsenal, a very entertaining game. And I think people forget this, and I think the role that he played during that season. David Platt scored the winner. Um, mm. Someone, how, I mean, what sort of role and how important? Because I think he played an underrated role in that, in, that t- in that squad at the time. Oh, very definitely underrated is exactly the word. I mean, he, he won't go down in sort of like official history or in fans sort of emotional history particularly strongly David Platt uh, in far as Arsenal goes but he definitely played a huge role I mean that goal alone was was key but also I think that he behind the scenes probably played well must have played a huge role because it was quite a, a young there was a lot of young players at the time and there was also a lot of players from different cultures and different leagues and Platt had sort of been been around different leagues and he must have played a big role. And also, you know, it was another captain. And I've always said this. I'm sure you've covered this, you know, with Euro 96. But one of the great things about England's Euro 96 squad was that nearly the whole team, it felt, were potential captains. You know, Adam, mm. Shearer, Platt, um, <clears throat> Stuart Pearce. Ince, you know, yeah. There was, yeah, there was just so many of them, Neville. And uh, so just to have him there as well was great. And yeah, and I remember that game. Um I think that was where we started sort of getting a little bit dizzy and a little bit excited because, you know, Man United at the time were just such a a mental block to us, you know, that we never felt for years that we'd ever get anywhere near them. You know, the last time we'd won the league, it had been Liverpool who were the big teams. And then six years later, here we are, you know, back hoping to compete with the league again. But now Man United are the team to beat. And, um, yeah, it was uh, it was great fun. Uh, Vieira got one, I think, as well, and Anelka as well. I seem to remember. 
and uh, I think Ted, I remember Ted showing him equalising and, and loving like he does a goal against Arsenal and then obviously yeah. the final word came to the Gunners um, we're going to fast forward a bit um, as well for this season well, by December then Man United were five points clear at the top of the table people were starting to think there may be a tie rush but Man United was still firmly in the driving seat but in the return fixture between Man United and Arsenal which are Old Trafford um I mean, they were at one point they were eleven points clear, of course, and bookies were were paying out bets and, and that famous story. But this was dealt as the as the big game. It was billed as the big game, the title decider. Gerald, do you remember this game? Because I I remember watching it as a kid. Um, well, I was a bit older than that. And actually, strangely enough, my brother in law was there. He's not even an Arsenal or a Man United fan, and says one of the best atmospheres he's ever been in. But I remember it being such a massive game. Do you remember the Arsenal Man United game at Old Trafford? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was it was sensational. Yeah, really, really interesting. Obviously, the both sides were going for the league. Both sides were huge. So, I can't remember back then. Was it just on like ITV, or was, did you have to wait for highlights? I actually can't remember. But I do remember thinking this is a big moment. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I was secretly, I'm a Man U fan. Like, not I like if if you picked a Premier League team when we were kids, it was Man U in the garden. It was Brian Robson and Neil Webb and all that because it was either Leeds or Man U and I'd rather pick Man U than Leeds so yeah I was rooting for Man U sorry Chaz <laughs> <laughs> Chaz talk to us about this game because as I said Man United you know the bookies had paid out on bets and then winning the league somehow Arsenal had crept up they had these games in hand and this was really viewed as, as the moment and that goal by Mar- Mark Overmars at Old Trafford it's, it's one of those poignant moments of the 90s isn't it Oh yes, it was. Uh, it was a perfect. Uh, I think a perfect sky moment again. As in, they like to talk about everything being a sort of an earthquake, a sort of an earth-shattering result that shatters all paradigms from the week before. But this really was one. This really was a match where, at the end, you know, you could feel the power moving. Um, you could feel that Arsenal weren't just taking three points from from Old Trafford. We were taking a sort of an emotional and psychological ascendancy. Um, from my point of view as a fan I, and a writer, I loved it because I had done a cover feature with Mark Overmars, like a cover feature interview for shoot uh, with Mark Overmars for that week, you know, previewing the match. And it was Overmars on the cover in the away kit. Uh, and the, the title, the headline was something like, you know, why I, why I know we can do it or something. So it was one of those things where just, you know, you just thought, oh, that's great. You know, I've absolutely nailed it with that front cover. Um, you know, it couldn't have got uh, better. Um, and I think it was an early morning kickoff, as I remember. Well, not early morning, but I think it was even prior to midday. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, it was just those things where they just seemed, we felt more confident, we felt more strong right from the start. To go and win there was a ridiculous hope at the time it, it, compared to previous years. You know, we'd, we'd not done that well against uh, the big teams in fact Wenger said at the end of the double year that we're talking about he said the main difference in the league was what we did against the other teams that came in the top four he said beyond behind that he said we were almost an identical season but we did well in that mini league and that meant that we won the the title and so this was the one and I just remember just absolute explosion when Overmars scored and also what I remember is is that I had no doubt in my mind that it was the winner you know, normally we can even score a winner in the 88th minute. And as soon as I sit down, I think, oh, God, we're going to fluff it. <laughs> Be a QPR fan, Chaz. That normally happens on a weekly basis. <laughs> exactly. And so but that time, you just knew it was just like, bang. It was like we'd smack them in the head, like psychologically, and that we were just going to do it. And um, 
I remember talking about fans, Newcastle fans earlier. That was another one, uh, that match where the fa- they really zoomed in, Scott, uh, Sky did on the fans at the end. And there was one guy with sort of shoulder length, black curly hair. Oh, is that from that game? Is it that guy? Yeah. Yeah. Who just went psycho, like quite rightly. And um, Sky used eyes, him forever. Yeah, it was just like a mixture of absolute disbelief. A mix, uh, you could see the pain coming out of years where we'd not done well. The disbelief, the excitement, the sort of feral joy. He was almost like an Arsenal fan TV super fan before there was Arsenal fan TV. Because, mm, you I know, people... Him. Yeah, well, people... Yeah, exactly. People would text me, you know, and we'd text each other and say, oh, I saw the old Trafford guy. And then there was a girl, a lady fan as well, who I remember it zoomed in on and these people just became, but he was the one who really summed it up. Uh, you know, just the absolute joy in his mind. And I just remember at full time, I just thought there's absolutely, I think I was 99.9% certain even at that stage, even though there's a lot of football to be played, I was just certain we were going to end up winning the league. Mm. It's a game I, I really remember. I mean, that. I mean, even at that point, they were still six points uh, ahead of you, but you had the three games in hand. It went mm. to pretty much the final day and that Everton game, which we remember. And I think one of the most beautiful bits of football moments with Martin Tyler's commentary, Steve Bowl to, to Tony Adams to settle the title. I mean, is that as close to an Arsenal orgasm that you've ever come to? <laughs> yeah, I was right behind the goal. Well, just above, but behind that goal. I nearly and, did. I don't uh, support them. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it was amazing because it was also Tony Adams's, like, you know, his personal, uh, you know, his turnaround, you know, which you all know about, you know, in 1991, mm. when we won the league, he was in prison for part of the season because of drunk driving. And then it subsequently in 96 sort of, you know, announced, uh, come out as it were as an alcoholic. And it wasn't just that he'd given up the booze. He'd changed in so many ways. He was like uh, learning piano, going and seeing opera and quoting Shakespeare in interviews, which for Tony Adams was just like ridiculous. You know, this was like, who, you know, what's happened to him? And I remember I used to go a lot to the Arsenal training ground at that point and had done for a few years. And Tony Adams used to skulk around looking a bit, a bit sort of moody for many years that's you know you wouldn't get much out of him and then I remember all he ever talked about for about two years was cappuccino it was the only word you ever heard out of his mouth was just like I'm just going to get a cappuccino I thought this guy must be high as a kite of cappuccino (laughs) by the end of the day and also his game had changed during that season or maybe it was the season before he'd scored a similar volley but from a more acute angle against Spurs at home but this was the one, yeah, I mean, a left foot volley from Adams and Martin Tyler saying it sums it all up. It summed stuff off the pitch up as well, you know, stuff into Adams' personal life, as well as obviously the whole Vengarian revolution. Mm. Giles, for you, where does that title race rank in terms of the, the, the great ones of, of the 90s? I mean, I really enjoyed it. I think Arsenal were the deserving winners having come before. Where do you, what do you, what are your memories of that title race? Yeah, I I definitely enjoyed it. I, I, I kind of always thought Arsenal would win it, actually. Um uh, I think Man U without Cantona, that was a sort of a letdown. They obviously brought Sheringham in from Spurs. And he didn't even miss a penalty. Oh, he hit the post uh, against Spurs. Spurs, on Spurs. Day, yeah. yeah, oh man, his face. He uh, did all right after that, though. He did all right. <laughs> yeah. He did all right. Um, yeah, there's other people who've retired as well. So it was kind of a new, fresh season. There was, and, you know, obviously with Barnsley there, it was so exciting for us that we thought we could win the title. Um, uh, but you know, I, I really thought it was a great season it does rank up there quite high um but not being an arsenal fan it doesn't you know it doesn't resonate that much in terms of you know good for them they've won a few since and and better ones since um but in terms of benger's first one and the fact that he 
actually prove that he was a professor and he was very good at what he did. It was, um, yeah, it was quite an achievement, I think. And, and also, you mentioned earlier Grimondi. Well, he's got the same name as me, so I had a bit of an affection for him with Gilles Grimondi. People still call me that, weirdly. It's very odd. I don't know. <laughs> and they're not even Arsenal fans. They go, Gilles Grimondi. I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, you get um, that and I get Ashley Wald. There's a bit of a difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Ian Wright as well that season. Didn't he break the record? I'm sure yeah. we'll come up to that. But yeah, so there was lots of, Lots of things happened that, that season. Um, but it was a, an interesting title race for sure. And, yeah. and we'll talk about the FA Cup just briefly as well, because not only did you win that, you won the FA Cup as well. I always remember the semi-final, because not only did you, was it a sort of quite a tepid win over Wolves and you expected mm. Arsenal to do much better, but Christopher Ray scored. And it's another name that you don't really remember from that season, but had an important part to play. Um, the final, as we've said before on, on this show, where we did the FA Cup finals, a lot of them are very one-sided. But it was the sort of cherry on top of the ice and the top of the cake, wasn't it, of, of Arsenal season to, to win the FA Cup as well, Chaz? Oh, yeah, it was. Because, I mean, 1971, the double year, was just such a big part of Arsenal's history. You know, um, and even, you know, winning the league in Am- Anfield in 89 so dramatically and then winning it again in 91, there was still that sort of feeling in the club of that the double year was, was the, act- the real achievement, the real pinnacle of it all. And... Um, so, yeah, to win the double definitely made it better. And um, one thing I would say is that people talk so much about the Invincibles year of 2003-2004 for Arsenal. To me, and I know that to several other Arsenal fans who I know, by a mile, 97-98 is our favourite. It's our favourite squad. It's our favourite season. To me, it was a bigger achievement than the Invincibles year because we actually got some really pants results in the Invincibles years, we had lots of draws. Do you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not talking it down. It's amazing to go a whole season yeah. without losing a, league, a match in the league. But mm. to me, the 97-98 one was the one. And in fact, I've seen people like Ryan Giggs and numerous other opponents, and I think some opposition managers, possibly Ferguson, all say that was the squad that, you know, that they felt was the real force and that that was what they felt was the hardest squad to play against. So, yeah, getting the cup was amazing, and it was a, it was an odd run all round. We talked about it in the cup episode, didn't we? And um, we never really, I never really felt like we really impressed. You know, there was no there was no dramatic results, but it was a quite a sort of a, a decent one against Newcastle. And I just remember us galloping forward, and you know, I was I was equally enjoying the moment, but also being excited about the following year. You know, thinking once that squad had actually had a whole year under its belt, what could it go on to do then? Well, it was near. It was close. We'll talk about that in the next one. But yeah, I've got, mm. an, I've got an old Arsenal friend who always sort of grimaces when I mention the treble because he was like, we could have stopped them twice. But yeah, we'll talk about <laughs> that. We'll talk about that on the next episode. Um, we're going to flip the table now, though, and we will talk FA Cup again with Barnsley because they did have a great moment in that. Um, but that's mm. talk about Barnsley and their, their only season in the Premier League. Giles, I mean, firstly, I mean, what did it feel like to be... Because we see it a bit more now. You have Brighton this season and Huddersfield. Um, yeah. We've had Swansea come up and, and they've stayed up. Blackpool obviously went up and went down. But Barnsley were one of the first sort of, for better word, unfashionable teams to come into the Premier League. I mean, how did it feel to be with the elite? It felt amazing. Honestly, it felt amazing. We were the unfashionable, fashionable team. We were that. Everyone liked us, you know? Oh, I, I felt you. that way. Yeah. We always got, oh, we like Barnsley. I'm like, okay, why? Um, don't know. They sort of, ferrets and flat caps that we always you know talked about and all, and all the fans wore flat caps at the game we, we sort of played up to the fact of who we were 
and we were, I, I reckon we're kind of one of the first teams that came up that was so small. Like say Huddersfield have done it now and all my family support Huddersfield. So it's really interesting to see it from their side now and they're doing so well at the moment. Um, yeah, wow. It was, it was incredible. Um, I think, wasn't it? I think Grobelar and John Fashnew had just been cleared of match rigging. So we thought, well, if they can get away with it, maybe we can do some rigging as well um, at the start of that season. So, um, yeah, I remember the first game against West Ham. And we thought maybe some hope, but uh, Neil Redburn scored and we, we lost 2-1 to West Ham. Um, but the next game, uh, we beat Crystal Palace 1-0. Redburn scored and we all went mental because we thought we can actually do well in this league. Um, like I say, Brolin played in that game and he got a goal disallowed for offside in the last minute. But yeah, Barnsley, were, we, we were a lovely side. Um, we were enjoyable to watch. Even when we lost 6-0, we, we had some 7-0 to Man U. 6-0 yeah, Chelsea yeah. and West Ham. I was at the West Ham game at Upton Park. Oh, my God. I was in the West Ham end as well, and we lost 6-0. And it, there were so many West Ham fans around us knowing that we were Barnsley fans. It was horrible. Honestly, I'm surprised we didn't get our heads kicked in. Oh, they were just laughing at us more than anything else. But, um, yeah, we, yeah, yeah, we were popular. They had the famous song. You know, it's just like watching Brazil, which just wasn't true. But, um <laughs> It, for the other teams, maybe. Um, yeah, and getting to the FA Cup quarterfinal was incredible. And if we'd if we beat Newcastle, we could have played Juchas in the final, and then it would have been a different final. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> might have been, sure. It might have been better than Newcastle performance. Um, talk to me about Neil Redfern, because he's a player mm. that I think gets a lot of stick because he got relegated, not just with Barnsley, but then subsequently with Cholton, with Bradford. But he was, one, he was a decent footballer and a very pivotal man for Barnsley at the time, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Um, we started the trend for him for being relegated, so we're <laughs> proud of that. Um, now he he was just a talisman. He was just very good in our side, and he was a leader, and everyone sort of rallied around him. You could you could tell when Barnsley scored that all the players would go over, and it was Redfern was the one that was patting him on the back. Redfern was the one that was sort of going, "Come on, we can do this. We can do this." You know, it's false hope, but <laughs> it made us. <laughs> It made us feel nice in a in in a certain way. Um, and we had some we had some good players. We'd bought in a few good players, right? Um, Christoph, do you remember Georgie Christoph? He didn't like girls in Barnsley, but yeah, I remember him playing football. <laughs> do you remember that? <laughs> he's just, yeah, yeah, the girls here did horrible. I, I, I can't remember his lines, but yeah, he just basically said the women in Barnsley are dreadful. <laughs> he's not he's not wrong. No, he's decent. <laughs> Apologies to any ladies who are listening in Barnsley. Beautiful girls in Barnsley. No, no, he, 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 I think maybe the ones he saw might have been that way. We got Ed Tinkler, who you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Uh, Ashley Ward, obviously, we brought in from Derby County, and he did so well for us, like I say, he's a, a player. And uh, Fjortov. Of course. Jan Fjortov from uh, United, Sheffield United. So, uh, do you know what? We tried. We gave it a good go. We we looked like a team that were going to get relegated. I think we were in the bottom three the whole season. Um, but it was our first time ever, ever in the top flight. Not just Premier League, but in, in when it was called Division One. So it was an amazing moment. And I'm proud to be part of it and, you know, talk about it. So, yeah, it's really nice. Chaz, well, I mean, I know you're probably consumed with Arsenal that season. But I think they were one of those teams that, like Joel <laughs> says, we're all just rooting for to stay up, you know, little old Barnsley and, and seeing such an unfashionable team come to the Premier League. We like we love those stories as football fans, don't we? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I did any, you know, anyway, like everyone else. But then <clears throat> right on the eve of the season, I went up to uh, the ground uh, to interview, uh, I think it was Dave Watson, the goalkeeper. Goalie, did you? Yeah. And he was, yeah, and he was such a nice guy. Ah, and yeah. everyone at the club was so nice because I used to go from club to club 
you know, and these weren't, this wasn't like me doorstepping. This was like arranged interviews and stuff. But sometimes <laughs> you'd get to these grounds and you would feel like you were doorstepping. Um, mm. You know, I'll, I'll call out Chelsea and Liverpool on that particularly. Absolute oh, ghastly people, basically. The players, not necessarily, but everyone else. But everyone at Barnsley were just so nice. It was just like, you've come all the way from London to do this. It was like, it was as if I'd sort of trekked across the North Pole to do it. And they were like, <laughs> oh, sit down, I'll get my cup of tea, get them that. And, ah, um, we're all nice up there. Yeah, it's so, so nice. nice. And Dave Watson was just so, uh, you know, he was just so laid back. And I remember sitting in the stand at Barnsley interviewing him and it was a nice sunny day. And I just thought, God, I hope they do well. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It was just, but also I had that sort of feeling like that, even if they didn't, that nobody was going to have a nervous breakdown about it, which is sort of nice as well. Um, mm. You know, it's hard to talk as an Arsenal fan about these things without sounding patronising, but I wouldn't say I'm not being. I just, you know, to me, you know, fans of clubs like Barnsley and, and many other clubs, you know, they're just such an example uh, to Arsenal fans because we just freak out at the slightest thing. And I mean, it's not really that that bad if you can see the corner. You don't need to. <laughs> you don't need to. Wenger out. About it. Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. And then you win a and then you win a corner. Venga in, but um, they uh, yeah. So I remember once in a minute, I remember Fjortoff and Hendry, yeah, very vividly. Uh, I think we had one really big win, like five nil early in the season. You did, and, yeah, um, yeah, a more tight, slightly tighter, well, tighter. I say a two nil one towards the end. Um, I remember that charm, but yeah, I just always wanted them to do well because if you know as a journalist going around interviewing players all the time most footballers who I've and managers who I've met have actually been really nice but when there are ones who stand out as particularly nice or the couple who stood out as particularly obnoxious you do watch their results after that you know if mm. one of them's been a bit of a, a git to you you think oh I hope you get sent off or something <laughs> so exactly, exactly yeah and uh yeah with Barnsley I just always wanted to do well because Dave Watson he, he he was making me laugh I was saying stuff like you know because it, it was through sundico the uh sports company that i got the interview and so i was sort of saying stuff like you know what, what what's your realistic hope you know what what should people watch for at barnsley this season he was saying well i should watch for my sundico gloves but but he was mucking <laughs> oh, about, he was mucking there, about. Yeah. He'd, then, he'd then give me a really good answer but he was just doing it enough times just to shit me up a bit basically just to be yeah. like you know let's just see if we can scare him for a moment because there's that famous one you could probably find it on the internet uh, I think it's Duncan Ferguson and Bill Burrows, who's a friend of mine, and he interviewed him, and, D- and Duncan Ferguson refused to move beyond whatever I sports remember were. remember that. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but Dave Watson was not doing that. He was not being a diva. He was just mucking about. And also, I think he was flirting with the PR woman by doing it because she was quite attractive, and I think he was, sort of like, you know, winking at her every time he did it. But, yeah, he was really, really nice. And, and for that was it. He gave, he gave me a lift back to the station afterwards. I mean, Jesus. There you go. Out. Don't get that very often. As someone who, someone awesome who works time. in uh, kids' magazines now, I can say no one's ever even offered to take me uh, a lift home to the station. Although, <laughs> Imagine that, Deli Ali just goes, yeah, do, do you want a lift? Where are you going? I'll Although, drop you off. Saying that, I did once walk to the station with Matt Jarvis after an interview, which was very awkward because I just wondered why he was getting the train, and that wasn't even that long ago. <laughs> You've got nothing else to say to him now as well. You've I, I didn't. Him. I honestly didn't as well. <laughs> so, Matt. So, um, um, <laughs> weather's good. You know, it was one of those moments, but not lovely bloke. I think he still follows me on Twitter as well. So thanks, Matt. Cheers for that. Um, I wanted to say to Giles, I mean, was there a, a highlight of the season? Was it the win at Liverpool? I think it has to be, doesn't it? Surely. That was a massive highlight. Um, weirdly, it's not for me. The biggest highlight for me was Southampton when we oh, beat the them 4-3. Four, three. Three. Yeah. And the reason is because that was our last chance at hope uh, that we could stay up. Um, we were on the back of a massive losing spree and it technically it was our penultimate win uh no saying that we just won a couple we you know we've beaten 
uh, Wimbledon and Villa, but we were we were down at that point. But by beating Southampton, it was almost it was three in a row, and we just thought, yeah, we we can do this. Ward had scored, obviously, so therefore we thought we we're going to win. Um, uh, Andy Liddell, he broke his nose during that game. Um, Scott Jones, he had needed three stitches, and uh, I think what else happened? Something else happened in that game, but it was it was just a really wonderful, gritty Yorkshire victory um, at Oakwell, and it was just. You know, it was amazing. I think we were, we were nearly packed out for it. Um, which, again, I think for all our games, we, all our fans were just amazing. They still are. I went to Wembley for the both the um, Johnson's Paint Trophy and the playoff final, which we won both of them. And the Barnsley fans are just amazing. They still are just great, great fun. And, you know, some of them are a little bit scary. But, you know, I think you get that at any club. But, um, yeah, yeah, look, look, that I kind of always knew we'd go down but we just wanted to enjoy it so the six nils and the seven nils weren't much fun but when we did get an amazing victory like the 4-3 at Southampton it was fantastic so yeah that's my favorite game though the Liverpool one was a highlight obviously as was the FA Cup I knew you mentioned the attendances. I'm just looking at actually I think only three games that season were below 18,000 which I think at the time was around Oakwell's capacity so that's that's pretty impressive and then it was Coventry Crystal Palace and poor old Wimbledon so they didn't pull it I mean they were still 17,000 so it says you enjoyed the season as a group of fans we did I think what was sad about the season was that the three teams that came up were the three teams that went down I don't think that's happened since maybe I'm wrong but uh, I think it's that, that once more, I could be wrong as it? well. I, I could be wrong, Probably but yeah. But yeah, so it's it's sad when that happens because it's like, oh, what's the point? Um, but there you go. And interestingly, interesting fact for you: that the next season, the same three teams nearly came up that went down when Barnsley came up. So it would have just been a total role reversal. But Sunderland lost in the playoff final. Anyway, that's just a little weird fact for you. It's a good fact, an epic playoff final as well. With yeah, Charlton, actually, yeah. Uh, which is on my, we've talked about here on the podcast. And um, we're going to get a little bit more Barnsley now. We've had a lot of Arsenal. And we've got a lot of Barnsley because um, today's guest he played pretty much the whole of that season and was a stalwart for Barnsley as well uh, right back played there since 92 all the way to 2000 he is former right back Nicky Eden talking to me earlier this week on Alive and Kicking right joining us on the line now at Alive and Kicking is someone who can talk us all about Barnsley and their amazing season in 1997-98 former defender Nicky Eden welcome to the show Nicky hi Ash Thank you for joining us. I was going to take you all the way back. You spent pretty much the whole of the decade at Barnsley and starting in 1992. How did you end up uh, at Barnsley? Uh, well, you know, grew up in Barnsley, uh, you know, and then obviously just went through all the system signing sort of schoolboy forms at 14 and then uh, ended up signing pro at 18. For your local club as well. So that must have been, is it a club you supported as a kid as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so I grew up in Barnsley with sort of, you know, a few Sheffield Wednesday and Sheffield United fans at school, but it was predominantly Barnsley. Um, you know, and I so said, just kind of followed the system through and mm. ended up um, ended up signing pro. Mm. What was the club like then and what was its ambitions when it was, so say, 1992? What, what sort of club was Barnsley at the time? It was, um, it kind of always sort of mid mid to lower table in the championship but it had been in, in, at that level for quite a while um, I think before we went up I think we were the longest serving um, in, in the well what, what is now the championship um, but we never really you know it never seemed as if we got any kind of aspirations to get get uh, out of the division um, you know plus you're always competing against you know so called bigger clubs um, so it was always you know you're always 
kind of the underdogs, and uh, you had to battle for everything um, that you got. And I mean, it certainly wasn't uh, you know facilities-wise and things like that. It was a real old-school type club, but a family club. Mm. And um, for you, I mean, I always ask people this sort of that that generation. Was it always the the YTS system that you came through? So you were doing the chores, very different. Uh, to how young players grow up in the game now was that the same for you? Yeah, well, it, the, the YTS system was in was in place, but um, I, I stayed on at school and did uh, did A levels. But um, I used to go down a couple of times a week and a couple of nights, two nights a week. Uh, but yeah, the, the lads had to do the jobs, and when I was there, you had, you had to muck in. Um, you know, and it's a it is a far cry from uh, the uh, the system that the youngsters come through now. Do you think it's better the way you came up? Do you think it gives them a better grounding? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm working at Coventry now uh, with the under-21s and all my first-year pros have to do jobs. Um, I think it teaches them responsibilities. You know, you give them a job to do and you have to do the job uh, to the best of their ability um, because that's, I always say to them, that's what you have to do on the pitch. You know, you you get responsibilities on the pitch and jobs to do um, and you have to do them. If you don't, there's consequences. Um, So... Yeah, I definitely think it was better. Mm. You played under quite a few managers at Barnsley. We'll talk about Danny Wilson in just a second. But when he joined, it was Mel Machin. What was he like as a manager? Uh, it, from a personal point of view, it was awful for me. Um, I don't know, for, for two years in the reserves, it kind of, you know, just slaughtered me, basically. Um, which, it, that didn't bother me. Um, it was the fact that you kind of got no help from him. Mm. Um you know, but uh, you know, luckily I've got got Eric Win Stanley there, who uh, I could always sort of turn to because he, he brought me through the youth team. Um, you know, and Eric was harsh at times, but you know, you always felt that Eric was trying to improve you as well. Whereas um, you know, with Mel, you know, I, I, I didn't. For me, as a personal point of view, it was really, really bad. So Viv Anderson coming in, who was, has just started, he only spent a season at the club, but was that sort of the beginning of you making a better name for yourself at Oakwell? Yeah, because the previous season, Mel had given me a free transfer uh, with a couple of games left. Um, you know, So I was busy trying to, I think I've got uh, maybe contacts at like Wigan and Scunthorpe, who were sort of Division 4 at the time. Um, but then Mel got the sack with a couple of games to go. Um I managed to get, well, Eric backed me, um, got me another year's contract. And then I think Viv, uh, along with Danny, when they came in, I think they were looking to sort of revamp the squad. There were a few players that had been there for quite a long time. Um, and whenever so Eric was helping out and Eric pushed the youngsters to them. And so sort of luckily, whenever we had to step up, we I think we must have impressed Viv and Danny, um, just basically because... Of, enthusiasm and work rate to start with but also I think I think they saw with Eric um, you know a lot of the training we could all handle the ball um, we're decent footballers and I think that's what Danny and Viv liked um, I think it probably took about 10 games for me to make the breakthrough I had a good pre-season tour with the first team uh, you know and I think uh, once I got in I think that was it I stayed in mm. and um- Danny Wilson coming in, I mean, could you see instantly the, the, the slight difference he was starting to make? I mean, he was playing at the club, of course, wasn't he, as, as a midfielder, and then he became manager. What did Danny yeah. change about the club that would bring the success? 
Um, I think when Viv was really laid back, and I, I liked Viv a lot, because he gave me a chance and took all the pressure off you as a kid. And he wanted you to enjoy your football, enjoy your training. Um, you know, and then obviously I played alongside Viv and Danny, you know, and I learned a hell of a lot from them, you know, because that was kind of the best coaching sessions, playing alongside real good, experienced players. Um, you know, I learned a lot of Danny, not not particularly technical-wise, but tactically and, mm. you know, just how, how to handle the game. Um, you know, and then I think when Viv left, you know, because it, I'm not saying it was a, a bit soft, but it, I don't think he was strict enough with the players because... I think he played with better players than what we were and what some of the lads were, uh, so he expected kind of better standards from them. But Danny, you could tell with Danny that um, he'd got a real sort of steely streak to him, you know, that he won't he won't suffer fools gladly and uh, he won't put up with poor standards. And I think straight, pretty much straight away, he uh, I think he got rid of a couple of players, uh, put a bit of a stamp on the uh, on the squad, um, you know, and then. You just sort of knew that you got to work so hard, you know, to stay in the team, especially as a youngster. Um, but again, Danny, it's, it's still got that thing where he wanted you to enjoy your football. He wanted to play decent football and get the ball down and pass it. Mm. Well, you almost got promoted in his first season, but because of the restructuring, you, you finished in sixth place. It wasn't a playoff, so he had to say a couple of seasons later. The ninety-six, ninety-seven season was the season Barnsley got promoted to the top flight for the first time in the history. I mean, what are your outstanding memories of, of the season going up and and that team? What made it so good that season? Um, well, we sort of, you know, we, we got kind of a gradual improvement um, we, we, under Danny, um, you know, and then I think. In the summer, I think it was just the signings that he made. You know, we've got a bit of experience anyway. But I think he fetched uh, fetched Tom Owen as left left back or left wing back, and um, Paul Wilkinson as centre forward. Um, you know, and then I think uh, a couple of foreign lads, uh, Yo Basanchik and Kent uh, Marcel. So they were a bit of an un- I think we were a bit of an unknown quantity, um, and it just seemed to click. Um, you know, we we got Ariane, Ariane Dazoo, who'd settled in as well. Um, um, we, we just seem to have a good blend of, you know, good experienced pros and the, the youngsters as well. Um, you know, we we got good footballers. I think a lot, a lot of the players there were were underrated. Um, but you know, it helped. We, we got off to a flying start. You know, uh, won the first five games, um, and then I think in October. September, October time, I think uh, we paid money for John Hendry, who had obviously had a real good partnership with Will Court Middlesbrough, and he just sort of added that extra little bit. You know, again, another ex- good experienced pro, and he'd always, he always felt like you'd nick a goal from somewhere. You know, if it was John, Wilco, Redders, you know, Clint, or little Martin Bullock, he always felt, we always knew we'd score, um, and we just kind of kept the momentum going, and everybody thought we'd blow up. And that's what Danny was good at. He took all the pressure off you, uh, but it demanded that you know he, he made it clear to us that he, he felt that we were good enough to go all the way that season. You did go all the way. What do you remember uh, of the celebrations and how much did it mean to you as somebody who had come through the club as a youngster and a Barnsley boy? Of oh, course, I've been at been at the club for that long. You know, I'd probably ten years association with it at that stage. Um, you know, and then. When you're on the pitch at the end, and you get you know all the fans on the pitch, and there's there's lads that you went to school with, 
Um, you know, and he'd grown up with, you know, and you could see what it meant to them. And um, it, it was kind of, you know, it was, so I think, extra special for me. Um, you know, and knowing how much, how much graft and how much work we'd put in to get there as well. Mm, definitely, and and then we go on to the, the Premier League season. Of course, I mean, it, we know it didn't turn out. It was a one season for Barnsley, but how much did you enjoy playing at that level, and how much of a step up did you find it as a team and, and for yourself? Um, I, I didn't actually enjoy it as much as the previous season because obviously, um, you know, we were um, we were getting beat regular a lot more than we were used to. Um, just, I mean, the level, you know, Listen, every team had just got more and more players that could hurt you. You know, you'd mm. be playing in the champ and they'd have two or three danger men, maybe four, you know, your front two and your wingers. And, you know, you got up there and it was like, well, you got the front two, you've got to be wary of. Yeah, the two wide men, of course, probably the two midfielders, the full-backs get on, the centre-halfs are danger at set piece back. The only person that couldn't hurt you was probably the keeper. But, so it was like, you, you, you just felt that you've got to be... Right at the top of your game every week in week out, and I think for some of us, myself included, uh, that's what cost us. You know, in the end, that we we couldn't produce our best often enough uh, because I think because of the caliber of players you were up against. You did have a good FA Cup run as well, including knocking Man United out. Is that one of the highlights for you in your time at Barnsley? Um, well, I didn't play in the replay. I played at Old Trafford when because we've been to Old Trafford and got beat seven 0 um, which wasn't enjoyable. Then we managed to go there in the cup and get a one-all draw, and then come back um, and obviously beat them with Scott Jones getting a couple. Um, yeah, I mean, I've never been a massive fan of the cup runs, you know, because I always think you and your bread and butter in the league. Mm. You know, there's a lot of players can turn it on for one game, you know. So, so if it's a special cup game, they can, you know, give it all in that game. With that, I kind of think, well, you got to be doing it week in, week out if you can. Mm. I always ask players of this of that era. Who for you was was the best player you played against in the nineties and and then played with? Um, I mean, again, it was it was always kind of left wingers, you know. So I got I got a real sort of run around at Old Trafford off gigs, um, you know. She felt like you couldn't even kick him because mm. if you managed to get close enough to him and kick him, it, he's one of them. He'd kick you back. You know, because he was a tough Manchester lad. That's why I was so successful. Um, and then that particular season and the season after, ended up playing against uh, David Ginola. You know, so we we got we had Spurs in the cup. That and, goal, yeah. Yeah, um, the season in the Prem, we, I think we got them in the cup and then um, drew down at White Hart Lane and uh, I think we managed to beat them at Oakwell. You know, but it, I mean, six foot two, you know, big blow, but so balanced and could go either way, either footed, you know, you're just thinking, how, you're trying to work out how to stop him, you know, and he's just real sort of handful. Um, and then the the other one, for pure pace, and obviously good players, Mark Overmars, mm. you know, I think, just remember getting the ball dropped over, over the top of my head, you know, down the channel, and I, by the time I turned around, he was about 20 yards clear of me, <laughs> you know, just, just pure sheer pace, you know. So, again, that's why I think, you know, you look at them players and the sort of calibre, that the players that you're up against, It was you kind of think, you know, it's no wonder we, we, couldn't, um, we couldn't compete for them.
And and with, I mean, you had some big names that season. You brought in the likes of as John Arafiotov and uh, Ashley Ward. Who was the best player that you played with at Barnsley? Um, I mean, I'd have to say probably, especially in that season, you'd have to say Redders. Mm. You know, because they one of them pros that are sort of, you know, week in, week out. You know, but he's a lot better footballer than, you know, people probably give him credit for. You know, two-footed, you know, he could strike a ball, you know, he'd shoot from anywhere, Redders, um, you know, with either foot. I mean, you know, he's right-footed, but I remember scoring a goal at Palace away. He just chopped it onto his left and spanked it in the top corner. Um, you know, and he's just a real good character, you know, a grafter. Uh, but as I said, more, more skill and ability than I think people will give him credit for. Mm, brilliant. And you say at the moment you're at Coventry. How much are you enjoying that in, in the modern era? Uh, well, as I said, you know, I've, I've worked at... You know, I've worked at Leicester uh, with the 21s and you can see, you know, the big clubs, uh, most of them spending money on players and, you know, the players have, you know, they've got a bit bit more of an ego with the Coventry. Um, it's kind of like a bit of an old school feel to it, which I've kind of tried to really promote as well, that you've got to earn everything. I think some some lads, um, there's like an expectation that they've, they've already got this pathway laid out for them and that things certain things should happen at certain times you know they make the step up to 18 then the step up to 21s and then the next step is the first team and I'm saying don't, it don't work like that you know you've got to really earn earn your place in that first team and you might have to keep plugging away week in week out every training session every day every week every match you know setting your standards really high and I think you know because listen there's, there's lads at the big prem clubs on thousands a week without even having got near the first team whereas my lads are on you know not great contract because we're not uh, you know we're league two um, so there's kind of that sort of desperation and I'm saying look it is there for you the, re- the rewards are there for you um, once you make that breakthrough to first team you know because a lot of clubs bigger clubs now looking around the lower leagues to pick the youngsters up you know we, we've just got we've just sold one to Leicester young George Thomas you know and um I'm saying the rewards are there for you if you carry on, you know, if you work hard and, um, you know, keep yourself grounded. Don't get too carried away with yourselves. Brilliant. That's great advice and and great memories there. Thank you very much for talking to us, Nicky. Okay, no problem. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Nicky Eden there, and I think Giles was quite excited that I got to speak to Nicky Eden there, weren't you? Very, very. <laughs> I'm actually a little bit jealous. I'm a little bit jealous. Oh, uh, I hope he's a good lad. Yeah, yeah, great. Good I man. look he's forward on, to listening. He's on uh, Coventry's books at the moment doing their under-21 stuff, so good luck to him. Um, that's We've talked a lot about a lot of Barnsley. Let's talk about some few other bits and bobs that happened in 1997-98. A game that actually we celebrated on our Twitter feed at AK90s at the weekend. A massive game, one of the best games of the 90s, uh, was Newcastle-Barcelona in the Champions League, and that's that's always remembered fondly. Um, wow. Fatino Spree's hat trick. I mean, it's one of those nights that Newcastle fans still talk about. We're all neutrals here. I'll start with you, Giles. I mean, what are your memories of the game? For me, I was just loved a Spree. It was just mad, wasn't he? Yeah. Do you know what? I've totally forgotten that game. And now you reminded me. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yes, of course. I, I know why the Newcastle fans still talk about it. It's because they haven't really won anything since. <laughs> so I can totally understand, you know, beating Barcelona like that. Spree was a player, wasn't he? He could play. He was exciting. I think 
Um, Newcastle could have won it this year, um, the year before they finished second, right, in 97, yeah. 96, 97. So I think people had high hopes for them. So, yeah, that's why they're in the Champions League or whatever it was called back then. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I don't know enough about the game. <laughs> I've nothing to say on it. But I know that, yeah, I remember that. It was a fascinating moment for me you to both, see Newcastle beat Barcelona. Big, 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 big good Barcelona team as well, wasn't it, Chaz? I mean, it was 3-2 and then they went 3-0 up as Spurrier in the scored in the 22nd, the 31st and the 49th minute before Barcelona pulled it back with Luis Enrique and Luis Figo. Not bad names at the time, but a, a great victory and one, a very memorable one for, for Newcastle. Oh, definitely. And I, I think that Newcastle are one of those teams, particularly in that era, who uh, <clears throat> sort of like the rest of football almost owed them something for how they went about the game. Because, you know, you look at some teams like Chelsea sort of more recently and, and Arsenal back under George Graham. You know, they, we quite often bored our way to titles or well bored our way through the season and uh newcastle just they were just a gift that kept on giving there was just so many dramatic exciting matches that you didn't need to support either side to enjoy and Espria was just one of those amazing players he sort of reminded me in a little way of uh Kanu, who we subsequently got in that you could just watch them in isolation and be player can and be entertained <laughs> yeah exactly you didn't need to watch uh, you didn't there didn't need to be anyone else on the pitch you would just watch them um, and yeah, I, I, yeah, I also, I must admit, I had forgotten about it. All the memories are sort of flooding back now. Mm. And as it, look, looking at the Barcelona team here, they had obviously Figo and Enrique, as I said. They also had Sonny Anderson, Rivaldo, even De La Pena, and future Birmingham player Christophe Dugarry. So well, they were some team, and opposite, I'm... you know, Warren Barton, John Beresford, Steve Watson. You know, you could see the contrast, but a great, great memory and a great, great win uh, for Newcastle. I mean, other little things I wanted to mention that season. It was the season of Roy Keane and Alfie England. Inga Haaland's feud began mm. when he uh, took out Roy Keane and he was out injured. So May United were missing him for part of the season, which is another reason they would say that the, the, the title didn't go as well as planned. Uh, Michael Owen made his England debut against Chile that season, become one of the youngest players to ever play on the free line shirt and has subsequently gone on to the World Cup. Um, Alan Shearer had a misdemeanor with Neil Lennon as well with that season mm. we remember so yeah there was little bits and bobs um, just wanted to run through the award winners as we do as well uh, Michael Owen was top scorer along with Dion Dublin and Chris Sutton only on 18 which is a crazy minuscule total when you think of the totals that go around now Bear, but Dennis Burkham of course won the PFA player of the year and the football writers player of the year Michael Owen was the young player of the year and as I mentioned earlier the team of the season now this says a lot about when the vote goes in because there's still debate of this today that they vote far too early um, for the PFA votes um, so there's one Arsenal player bearing in mind they did the double as we've already discussed only one Arsenal no Barnsley player as well disgusting no Georgie what Ristoff. disgusting yeah. what? So no Ashley the, Ward no Shocking. Ashley Ward no Georgie Ristoff and his Barnsley girls but you had Nigel Martin <laughs> uh, Gary Neville Gary Pallister Colin Hendry Graham Lasso, David Beckham Nicky Butt David Batty, Ryan Giggs, Michael Owen and Dennis Burkham, the only Arsenal player. So a lot of Blackburn who mm-hmm. did challenge, uh, had a child challenge towards the sort of Christmas period, but sort of tailed off at the end. But it says a lot about that. You know, the voting is done too early. Um, before we talk about a little bit about France 98, um, anything else you guys wanted to mention from this season we haven't covered already, Chance? Well, just on Roy Keane, I, I interviewed him for shoot while he was out with that um when he was out for that time and I remember it was one of my most memorable interview experiences because I turned up and I was genuinely a little bit scared just because of his reputation um and he sort of came in even more grumpy and reluctant and sort of hacked off than I feared and I quite often when I used to interview players then because I just love football and because I was so young 
um, and looked much younger even than I was. And because I just still love football, I didn't have that kind of weariness that some of the older football writers eventually develop. Um, I used to quite often sort of unlock their heart a little bit when I interviewed them because they could just see that this was just a fan in front of them rather than, you know, someone trying to necessarily stitch them up. And also, if you work for a shoot, you don't try and stitch players up. It's just not part of it. You just want some nice quotes for, you know, young readership. And I remember about five minutes in, he just suddenly just relaxed and was just the charm, most charming guy. Went double the time uh, slot that I had. I think it was like a 25-minute time slot and ended up being close to an hour. And he said stuff in that interview about, you know, you know, what a complete prat he thought he was and how he regretted so many things. And he talked about things that he'd done off the pitch, which nobody knew about, like, you know, like fights and stuff and talked about them. And I was, and most of it couldn't go in the mag. It was so infuriating. I put it all in and yeah. filed it. And of course, you know, in the end, the editor just came to and he just said, like, you know, I've been upstairs. I've had a chat. We just can't put this stuff in. It's just <sighs> the shoot brand so important. And Loaded was part of the IPC stable at the time. And I used to do stuff for Loaded on the side. And, um, I said, would it be okay if I took out, you know, that stuff and then sort of I'll give Keen's people a ring, but, you know, I could put it in Loaded. And they were like, yeah, sure, and Loaded, obviously desperate for it. And understandably, to an extent, Keen's people came to and said, no, that's yeah. not, uh, you know, we, it, yeah, he <laughs> was. Brand we image we, we want. Yeah, they said, yeah. look, to be honest, we were trying to stop him at the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> certainly if it goes into Loaded, they said it just sounds, it gives it an even more sinister spin in their eyes if it goes into Loaded. But absolutely lovely man. I just, I went in scared of him and not particularly liking him as a fan and just came out one of his biggest fans. Mm. you're making my heart sing just by mentioning shoot and loaded as, as a man of magazines <laughs> yeah. it just makes yes. me smile Giles is there anything else we haven't mentioned from that season you wanted to add before we move on yeah there's a couple actually um, go for it not, was it nine English teams uh, qualified for Europe that's a record that's right? a great fact uh, Crystal Palace uh, were the first team ever I think to finish rock bottom and go into Europe the next year as, uh, maybe but I know that nine teams qualified that's great isn't it Nine, nine. Wow, and we didn't. None uh, of us won. Well, no, the, the, well, I think ninety nine did all right. I think Man United oh, did all right in ninety nine. No, they didn't count, did they? <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, um, uh, what's it? Oh yeah, um, MUTV launched. Was it that long you, ago? It was then. Yeah. Wow. MUTV launched. I remember trying to watch it, and it was. I think you had to pay for it, right? Um, yeah. There you go. That's a couple of things. That's I, I like this yeah. kind of fact. The little fact that I've just got as well, I've written down here, is that Gareth Barry made his debut in this season, and it's unbelievable wow. to think in 2017 he's still playing. He's going to be the. <laughs> he's going to get the record. Yeah, he's going to be gigs. Yeah. It's horrible, isn't it? I don't know why I find that horrible. I think it's wonderful that he's continued to play. But you know, when you it's it's Ryan Giggs, it's great. He's up there. It'd be like you know if if it was Ian Wright. And that gets sort of taken away. I don't know. It's a strange one, that. For me. I don't know. I feel quite warm inside that someone is still playing. I remember in the 90s. It makes me feel older. Yes, sorry, younger than I should younger. be. So, yeah, yes. older. <laughs> Just, that naturally came out my mouth as well. Okay. Uh, before we go then, um, we've done a complete pod on France 98. So if you want a, a complete analytical and much more in-depth view of it, go back and listen to it. But just a couple of memories from each of you from uh, what was a, a great tournament. I, it's one that for me doesn't resonate as much as... World Cup USA 94 and Euro 96 but still a fantastic fantastic tournament uh, coming to you first Chaz what are your best memories of, of, of France 98 I have to be honest I'm not that sort of hot on international football I mean I love watching international football but I'm not I suppose what I mean is I'm not a passionate England fan so I tend to watch international tournaments from 
essentially neutral, but the only real bias I have is, you know, wanting Arsenal players to do well. So obviously the Burkamp goal was a big thing, but the, the main thing was, you know, Vieira slotting the ball through to Petit, uh, scoring the winner and then um, Piers Morgan doing one of his better moments of his career uh, Arsenal <laughs> win the World Cup on the front cover of the next day the Daily Mirror total abuse of his position Jeez. but you know it, we any fan can relate to that you know would have had that impulse and uh, yeah I just remember just being so excited that you know that we'd won the it did feel like Arsenal had won the World Cup although of course we hadn't really you see, I'm the opposite. I'm a massive England fan. And mm. it comes from being a Barnsley fan where we haven't got that much to cheer about, certainly in the, you know, 10 years ago. Um, so to be in England, for me, watching England was like, I could really get behind them. I could scream and shout. They're on the TV. So the 98 World Cup was massive for me. I was at uni at the time and everyone, we all went into the student union to watch England play. And it was, it was crazy. It was wonderful and horrible everything like that at the same time it wasn't Beckham's kick that bothered me as much it was Gary Neville um Philip Neville giving away the penalty against Romania yeah oh my god it hurt so much it was that ah what are you doing it was horrible um yeah I'm a passionate England fan I was absolutely devastated by that um yeah, I got tickets to subsequent World Cups thinking England would progress and been to those and it wasn't. I had been to a World Cup final though, so that was kind of cool in Japan. Um, I'd got those because I thought England would be there. That's how naive and sad I am. <laughs> there was more <laughs> chance in that era for sure. I mean, that 98 team I think is one of probably the best chances we had. Yes, I think if we'd yes. got past Argentina, I, th- I have a sneaking suspicion yes. we'd done all right. I think so. Beckham was assist king. He got 13 in that season for, for the highest in the Premier League that season in 97-98. So for going into the England sort of setup, it was like, OK, this is it. We we can do it. So it was a real shame, I think, mm-hmm. uh, that we didn't go further. Mm-hmm. I think but I, I said there's a time we had such a great blend of youth and experience that squad. Probably the best, you know, you had Beckham and Owen, who were these two new kids on the block who were mm-hmm. everyone was exciting, but you still had the Euro 96 old guard of Ince and Shearer and, and everyone else and Glenn Hoddle with these new ideas and a really weird 3-5-2 that nobody had ever heard of. It was it was one of those it just what-ifs and that Argentina game. Yeah. As a neutral, what a, <laughs> what a game because it had absolutely everything, but absolutely heartbreaking for England but a great tournament so remembered for as Chaz said France winning it Ronaldo doing what he did in the final no one ever knows what happened if he had a fit if he was feeling unwell but he was obviously a, a fantastic player it was his birthday yesterday so happy birthday Ronaldo as well um, a great great tournament as I said go back and listen to our tournament uh, our, our podcast on that sir, for a more in-depth look um, at that but we're running out of time and before we go though we do our little feature that we need a jingle for I'm going to ask one of these guys to print, put out a name from the past in a 90s names that football forgot Chaz bring us a name from the 90s that some people might not remember I might not remember but pluck one out for us Peter Fear because never in football has a a man been less accurately named I remember when he they said Wimbledon (laughs) have got a new player called Peter Fear I imagine some sort of werewolf and then he he looked like he was uh, in Westlife so yeah (laughs) So as, as someone who, who broke for shoot at the time, do you remember Match having an absolute obsession with Peter Fear? Yes. I think they had some regular slot, didn't they? On their news pages. He used to yeah. be always like, I don't know, photo, whatever, it wouldn't have been Photoshop, whatever the equivalent was in 1998, but into some sort of funny joke every week. I always remember that, and they just chose Peter Fear. Very, very random. Giles, have you got a name for us? Danny Cadamatri. Oh. oh. Um, yeah, I loved his hair. 
he looked cool. He was Everton player, and he was like this exciting thing that then just disappeared. I think it was even England talked about for what, at was, one stage. Yeah. I think he was, me and, we did a podcast uh, the back end of last year where we picked our potential 11s of players who could have made it. Me and Ralph mm. um, did it. And I think he was in one of those teams. But yeah, he was talked about England. Scored in an early Merseyside derby, if I remember rightly. But yes. Never quite yeah. made the grade. Good, two great names no, then. We'll put them on Twitter, see if people remember those. <gasps> um, but that's it. We've I think we've wrapped everything up in 1997-98. Only one more to go. Um, so big thank you to my guest today. Um, where can people find you on the social network if they want to chat 90s football or films or books, whatever they want to chat to? Uh, Giles, where can they reach you? Uh, you can follow me at Giles Alderson on Twitter and Instagram and you can follow the Filmmakers Podcasts at Filmmakers Pod on Twitter or go to www.thefilmmakerspodcast.com. <laughs> uh, Brilliant. And Chaz, where can people stalk you on the internet? Uh, I'm on Twitter at all that Chaz. A double L T H A T C H A S, all that Chaz. And the book aforementioned is uh, Running Cheaper Than Therapy, and that's out in November. Fantastic. Get involved on both of those fronts and get involved on the next podcast. We'll be back very soon with 98.99. And then we've got to decide what we're doing next. Keep it on the Twitter feed for what we're doing. That's at AK90s. I've been Ash Rose. You can get me at Ash Rose UK on Twitter and Instagram. But until next time, keep it 90s. 